and I say this because he gave his testimony. He said he didn't believe in God, and he would, you guys remember what he said? He would look with contempt at other Christians, right? So here is Han at negative 10 where he used to be in college. He's crossing his arms. He got a scowl, right? Right? Okay, that's negative 10. And then negative 5 is maybe like, um, I, I hate Christians, but Jesus seems pretty okay. Maybe that's a negative 5 thing to say. And then right here in zero is, I need someone. If someone gave me a compelling invitation, I would say yes. I would cross over the line. You know, interesting thing, when I went to uh, our all-church retreat, by the way, that's coming up, and you can sign up. When I went to our all-church retreat, this was about um, a couple years ago, I remember looking at Tyler, Tyler Carisu, and I said, Tyler is prompted by the Spirit. Have you ever accepted Jesus into your life as Lord and Savior? And he looked at me and he said, no. And I looked at him and I said, would you like to? And he said, yes. It was like the shortest invitation conversion ever recorded, ever possible. And then we actually, you know, we, we, we got together this small group. We, 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 we held hands when we prayed him in, I guess you could say. But that was from zero to one. Zero to one. Okay, then positive 10 is I'm growing, I'm a growing Christian. And then 10, 10 is you, you're like, you're sharing chin. You go, Whoa! You know, you got, you got the halo, your yan chin, you know. You're like my in-laws. My in-laws are right there. And, um, and, and so, okay, so when we say making disciples, uh, which group of people and which stage are we talking about? Now, what I want you to do is actually turn to someone and, and give them your best take, okay? But I'm only going to give you like 20 seconds. Go. Someone will share. Go. All right, I said 20 seconds. Hey, hey, Wayne, can you turn it up still? If you can. All right, um, what did you, you all say? What did you all say? Now, now, tell me if I'm wrong, but when you hear the words make disciples, naturally you're thinking, oh, baby Christian to growing Christian with a booming voice. Right? That, that was on cue. We, we, we practiced that. Like, when I say that, you'd, you'd turn it on. Okay, it, it's, you normally think that, right? Let me clarify this, and hopefully once and for all, it is, as Lauren was saying, it's all of it. It's all of it. Not just on this side. It's also on this side, too. It's helping people who don't know Jesus, bring them, them to the feet of Jesus, them falling in love with Jesus and seeing their need for a Savior and growing as a Christian. And then they actually start helping uh, people on that end come closer and closer to Jesus because Jesus is this way. So let me ask you a question. Let's say um, uh, someone's at negative 10 and I go to lunch with that person, Right? They don't have many Christian friends. And after lunch, they come away and they're thinking, you know, Christians are not that bad. So they go from negative 10 to negative 9. Is that making disciples? It is. It's making this. 
any move movement this way is making disciples. Sometimes people feel like, no, I'm not making disciples until I lead someone across the line. No, negative nine to negative eight is movement. What we are looking for is movement. Maybe you are called to help someone go from negative 10 to zero, and then someone else leads them across the line. Is your work making disciples Is it any less important? Everyone has a role, right? If you are hanging out and you are building trust, it is making disciples. Now, what happens if you're hanging out with them and they go from negative 10, they leave the lunch, and they go from negative 10 to negative 11? Is that making disciples? No. (laughs) But here's the thing. Making disciples is a very nonlinear process. Can I get the parents in the room to raise your hand? You know what I'm talking about. Like one day, they're like, I think I love Jesus. And the next day, it's like, who is God? I don't know who God is. I don't believe in God. It, 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 it kind of goes back and forth, right? But the general movement is this way, and that is making disciples. And we all have a role, and we all need to play our God-given role. Amen? Several months ago, I met with our our staff team. And we had a planning meeting about after Easter, what are we going to focus on? What are we going to talk about? I remember during that meeting, it wasn't one of those things where like, we come up with plans and we say, God, please bless them. It wasn't like that at all. It It was a lot more like, God, we don't want to tell you what to do. You tell us what to do. And we will go ahead with your plans. We came out of that meeting and we felt this conviction. I felt this peace. God wants us to talk about this side of the equation. God wants us to focus during this time on being intentional about evangelism. Now, I got a confession to make, which is like, I haven't really talked about evangelism for a long time. Like, I can't remember when I last did. But this is such an important reason for why we're here. Part of me is like, I can't believe I haven't talked about this. It's my bad. It is my bad for not talking about it sooner and with greater frequency. So I apologize to you guys, but but we really need to talk about this and be very intentional about all the people in our lives on this side, whether it be the mailman or the person at the gym, whether it be the the clerk at the store, whether it be friends, family, relatives, mom, dad. We want to be so intentional about saying, God, you've put me in their lives for a reason. I want to leverage that for your glory. I want to make disciples. Your command was urgent, and I'm going to make it my priority. And so we want to be those people. We want to be those kind of people um, at at church. I uh, wanted to to, uh, start off with a a story. Some of you, maybe maybe most of you have heard it before, but it's uh, it's very near and dear to my heart. And so I'd like to tell you guys the story again. When I was a youth director... Uh, there was a, uh, a teenager in our youth group uh, with the initials M-Y. So, um, Matthew, anyways. No, M-Y, M-Y, Y, Y. I don't, Matthew's not here. Oh, he's right there. 
Anyway, he comes up to me one day and he says, I have this friend, this friend asking a lot of questions about my Christian faith and about church. And I was doing my best to answer those questions. And he kind of wants to come to church. Is that okay? I'm like, yeah, of course that's okay, right? But here's the thing. As a pastor, I normally, like, well, as a youth director, I normally talk to kids who were raised up in the church, um, uh, kids, uh, parents kind of, you know, brought them to church, so they know something about the Bible. And my message was all, like, with that person in mind. And so here is Matthew's friend, and I'm like, well, should I change it? I'm not going to change it for just one person. And so I'm going through it, and I'm, I'm looking at his friend, Daniel, and in all honesty, Daniel looked bored, you know? I know you're like, oh, well, that's so hard to imagine. I can't imagine anything you would say that would be boring, Andrew, right? You were thinking that. But he was looking bored. He was looking bored. And, and I'm like, okay, well, I guess goodbye, Daniel, you know? <laughs> it was nice uh, having you around, and, you know, I got to get to know him. And here's the thing. So Daniel went home. Matthew went home. Next Sunday, Daniel came again. And then the Sunday after that, he came again. And the Sunday after that, he came again. Now, here's the funny thing. He was asking some CLC families for rides. And some of these families don't go to church every Sunday. So Daniel was like, hey, I need a ride. And so these, these families are like, wow, Daniel is making us go to church every Sunday. Not a bad thing. Not a bad thing, that Daniel. Um, and so he was coming, and he was coming, and he was coming. And then one of these times, I'm like, Matthew, your friend is coming. He's like, yeah. I'm like, I don't know why. Do you know why? He's like, I don't know either, but he's coming. So I'm saying, Matthew, now this is what I love about youth ministry. Love, love, love about me, youth ministry. Here's the thing. Imagine this, mind-blowing. When you invite a youth to do something, they actually do it. Wow. I said, Matthew, I challenge you to pray for Daniel every single day. And he did it. Every day he prayed for that dude right... No, he's not here. Oh, he, he just came down and he came late. Oh, my goodness. No, no clapping for him. Shame. He kept on coming. And Matthew kept on praying. Every day he would pray for his friend Daniel. Every day he would pray. And I, again, six months later... Calvin was here, and he was preaching the Word of God, and he invited people to communion. And I was somewhere around there. I was in the communion line, and I saw Daniel go from the pew into the line. And I just started to lose it. I'm like looking at his friend, do you, do you see what's going on? You know? I'm like really, really happy. Daniel comes here. He, he takes communion. He kneels down right there, right there. You know? And then we wanted to wait a little bit until he actually took the elements, and then we bum-rushed him. And we're like, Daniel, do you understand what he And he understood what he was, do you understand? And we were so excited, you know? And then, and then we kind of like held hands and we prayed for Daniel. And we, we were, we were, they were, people were crying. Uh, Matt was there. Josh was there. Lily was there. It was an amazing, amazing Sunday. One of the great moments of my life. And my point in all this is to say that our commission to share Jesus with people who don't know him is an amazing, wonderful, awesome, not just duty, but privilege. I can't describe the joy that you feel and someone you've been invested in comes to know the risen Lord. And now I, you, guys know, you guys know Daniel and, and what, what, what's happened. He's continued in our church. He's been growing. 
nowadays, he just won't shut up about Jesus. You know that about Daniel. He's he's an amazing, gospel-saturated man by the glory of God. And just to think that we get some role in that by the glory of God is an amazing privilege. Now Daniel is actually influencing others. You know, he's going he's gonna to be one of our Supreme Court justices one day, and he's going to carry the name of Christ, you know. What an awesome privilege to be part of that. When we talk about evangelism, let's just not think duty. Let's think what an amazing, awesome privilege. Now, let me, let me, let me try to bring this home, and then we're going to get to the Word of God. But I just want a high schooler. I heard the high schoolers are here today. Where are you? Can I just get a high schooler to raise your hand? Okay. There you go. There's Sam. There's Sam. Sam. Um, Sam's my neighbor. He comes over and plays chess, and I just destroy him on a regular basis. And then we normally bet, like, someone has to do push-ups. Sam's normally the one doing push-ups at the end of the chess match. I just want you guys to know that, that that happens. Sam, I want to give you this to you. I feel sorry for you, but I really want you to enjoy this donut. Actually, I got this this morning. Okay, look at how beautiful this donut is, right? Here you go. This is yours. Oh, oh, he can only, he cannot eat gluten. That's a problem. That is a problem. That is a problem. Okay, well, okay, let's say Sam is devouring his donut. Let's just pretend. Or I could take it away from Sam and give it to someone else. But let's just say that Sam is eating this donut, and he's enjoying the donut. And Sam, what's going through your mind? Just help me out here. (laughs) No, no, he's eczema-free. This is a magical donut, okay? What's going through your mind? I am very gracious. Good. Yes, that's a really good thing to say. What are you going to think next? Sam, at any point in you eating the donut, are you thinking, maybe I should share? Any point in the donut consumption, were you thinking that? No. He said no. (laughs) There's the truth. Okay, what if I had two donuts, three donuts, four donuts? Okay, I, I want to actually make the message really, really simple, okay? Is evangelism kind of like getting this amazing chocolate donut, something so enjoyable, something very satisfying? We're not talking about nutrition. We're just talking about joy. And what is your, your, your next natural impulse? I want to share it. I want to give it to someone I love. I don't want to keep all the joy to myself. I think that was Matthew. Uh, there are these deep, soul-penetrating questions I have no answers to. I find them in Jesus Here's my brother who is questioning, looking, searching. I want him to have soul satisfaction in Jesus. It's the very same thing as sharing the donut. A delicious meal, something wonderful. I got to share it and pass it on. Is evangelism as simple as that? I think it is. On a very baseline level, on a very emotional level, that is the essence of evangelism. I got something so good, I just can't keep it to myself. I want to pass it on. We're going to see an Andrew who does this with the Peter in a second. But here's the thing. What I want to do is I want to give a little introduction to John, the Gospel of John, because I do think there are people who are not in the devotional right now. You're not in a personal devotional. You're not in the habit yet. And maybe what you want to do after this Sunday is say, I'm going to pick up the Gospel of John. It's piquing my interest. And I'm going to actually try to read this Gospel on a daily basis. Now, if that's you, or possibly you, I want to give you a, a more lengthy introduction to the Gospel of John. Okay, the Gospel of John. Let me explain why we're going through the Gospel of John. We're going through the Gospel of John because in the beginning of the Gospel of John, Jesus has these amazing one-on-one interactions with people, and it, 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 it does provide like an observing classroom uh, 
with instructions, with values and principles for how we can pass Jesus from one person to the other. Okay? If we're learning about evangelism, the beginning of John is a great way to learn that. But let me tell you a little bit more about John. Um, the gospel of John is likened to a pool where a child can wade and an elephant can swim. How many of you heard of that uh, comparison with the gospel of John? You've heard of that before. Okay, a, a child can wade in it because it is that simple. But an elephant can also swim because it is that profound. It is both simple and profound. And I'll put it another way. There was someone that said, um, and, and just speaking candidly, the gospel of John, in terms of the richness of thought, can be compared to the works of Philo or the philosophers of Alexandria. This is what this person was saying, in terms of the complexity of thought. You know, it's in that category. Ah, but here's the thing. What poor dying person near the end of their life says, would you please read to me from the works of Philo? No one. But countless individuals say, would you please read to me from the gospel of John? Why? Not only is it so complex and rich, but it's basic and it comforts the soul and meets a very simple person in simple language on a heart level. That's the beauty and the power of this book. Um, let me say a, a, a few things more. Um, <clears throat> now, I know that AACF people have just gone through John. Can AACF people kind of wave your hand at me? And I know when you heard that we're going through the Gospel of John, you must have been like, yes, we're doing it again. Now, um, now I know you're thinking that because here's, here's another quote. Another person said that you are not being true to the book if after you read it, the gospel still does not remain strange, restless, and unfamiliar. Now, let me ask you guys, does the gospel of John, because you guys just went through it, does it remain strange, restless, and unfamiliar? Now, you have to say yes, because I'm looking right at you, right? Why? It's one of those books where every time you read it, you get something, but there's still major portions that you don't get. There's this restlessness, and I want to read it again. So you read it again, you're like, oh, right? But there's still, like, I can't nail it. I can't put my arms around it. It's, on the one hand, elusive, but on the other hand, it's basic. It's profound. It's feeding my soul. That is the Gospel of John. Um, the Gospel of John is very different from the other three Gospels. How many of you guys have noticed that when you've read it? Very different. This Gospel was written last. There might have been some time between uh, when the third of the three was written and John was written. But during that time, you imagine like an aging John, and he's saying, look, I feel inspired by the Holy Spirit, to write a gospel, but I don't want it to be just like the other three. I want to add something new. I want to add something fresh. John is that fresh and that new gospel. It is adding value to the gospel equation, if you will. And basically, this is the difference, okay? The other three, synoptics, sin means same optic view, same viewpoint, summary of Jesus' life. John, different viewpoint. Now, John wanted to focus on like one-on-one conversations with Jesus, informal gatherings, informal teachings that Jesus gave to his friends. 
the other gospels focus more on the public ministry of Jesus. So there's some difference there, right? John is thinking, I want to give something to the church. The church needs more details, and the church needs new defenses because there's new attacks inside the church, which was apostasy, and outside the church, which uh, there, was, there was heresy and manipulation of the text. So John's like, okay, one-on-one conversations, rich informal teaching, new defenses, and bam, we have the gospel of John. Okay, how's that as an intro? I, I was hoping that people would feel inspired to go, you know, okay, then in the next season of time, I'm going to be reading the Gospel of John. And I just feel like if you come out of here and you're going to spend way more time in the Word, I just, dude, totally worth the time to give that intro to John. Okay, now, at this moment in the message, all that was an introduction. Are you guys ready for the message? <laughs> I think Pastor Wayne pulled that like two years ago, and I'm like, I'm learning from Pastor Wayne. That was the introduction. Okay, now let's uh, warmly welcome our scripture reader. Uh, Vanessa's going to come up here. She's going to read an installment of the first chapter of John. But here's the thing. We're going to do something a little bit different, okay? Uh, number one, I'm going to have you stand up in honor of the Word of God. And number two, please no one get offended at this. I'm going to stop Vanessa in the middle of her reading. And what I want you guys to do is kind of guess what you think comes next, okay? Right? So I know we don't always do this. It's a different way to kind of interact with the scripture. Going to have you guys interact a little bit, okay? I'm going to stop in the middle. You guys are going to guess, and then she's going to continue on. So that means, and this is the only time I'll say this, please don't read your Bible. (laughs) You know, just look on the screen where the words of God, ESV, extra spiritual version, okay? And we have extra spiritual, like Vanessa right here, going to read the Word of God. We're doubly covered. And in the middle of that, I'm going to pause. Okay, Vanessa. Okay. John 1, 35 to 42. Jesus calls the first disciples. The next day again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher. Okay. All right. Um, this is not sacrilegious. Um, but what I want you to do is, is can you actually write down on a piece of paper what you think comes next? Jesus just said, what are you seeking? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher. What do you think they said next? All right. No one's writing it down, so I guess you're just coming up with it in your mind, okay? Well, come up with it in your mind then, okay? What would you think would come next? You guys got it? You got your thing? I'm going to ask you what the thing is later. Okay. All right, now here is Vanessa. She's going to finish it. Where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the... One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and he said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which, mean, which means Peter. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Vanessa. All right, you all can sit down. Now, can we just uh, uh, in, uh, interact a little bit? I, I'm just curious to know what you guys thought would come next. You know, can I get, get some people to share it? Maybe one of the Lawrence, can you guys share? What are you seeking? Rabbi, which means teacher. Okay. 
Rabbi, we are seeking knowledge or wisdom. One of the, one of the above. Uh, what, about, what about over there? What, maybe a college student. What do you guys, what do you guys think uh, the disciples would say? David, Jessica? <laughs> Rabbi, I was going to say something, but I forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> Yeah, that, my, my, that is a good one. Yeah, that's good. That's good. Uh, maybe someone over here, like Sharon, Darlette, what do you guys think the disciples would have said? Okay, teach me. Teach me something. Say something good, right? Okay. All right. Now, it's weird. So what I wanted to just, just, just hmm. No one said, oh, yeah, clearly they're going to say, where are you staying? Because we really want to see what your accommodations are like and what your sleeping bag look like. I want to know. I want to know. No one's thinking they're going to say that, right? So that's weird. Can I just say that's weird? And we're just going to come back to that later, okay? We're going to come back to it later. But we're going to go through the text, starting with verse 35. The next day again, John was standing with the two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. Now, I just want to explain that in the previous day yesterday, he said, Behold, the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. Now, when you, when you hear Lamb of God, you're thinking, well... Lamb are not very bright. I don't think that's what John is trying to suggest. Uh, yesterday he said, Lamb of God, oh, the sacrificial lamb. Jesus is the sacrificial lamb of God who by his sacrifice is going to take away the sins of the world. Behold the lamb of God, okay? The two disciples heard him say this and they followed Jesus, okay? Now we are reading John with a certain lens, which is what can John teach us about making disciples, Right? And so we're going to look at this passage from that lens until the very end. The very end is going to be all about Jesus. But we're, we're, so we're asking, what can John the Baptist teach us about making disciples? And I think the first thing he can teach us is that discipleship or making disciples is a team effort. I don't know how John felt about handing off his own disciples to Jesus. It really seems like he didn't really have a problem with that. And if you look in chapter 3, it's more like he understood his calling. He understood, here is where I begin, here is where I end, and I am so okay with that. Maybe one of the things that we can learn from John is that discipleship, making disciples, is a team effort. Maybe before we get in, we have to have an ideal of how we're going to get out. Where we're called to begin, where we're called to end, and to be totally okay with that. To hand them off to another if another mentor can actually take them further. Why? Well, because making disciples is a team effort. But let's keep going. Let's keep going. Um, 38. Jesus turned and saw them following. And he said to them, what are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, come and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying and they stayed with him that day for it was about the 10th hour. <clears throat> I, I did bring this up earlier. It is weird how the disciples responded. You know, what are you looking for? What are you seeking? Now, that question of Jesus could be twofold. It could be like, hey, why are you following me? Or it could be like, hey, what's really in your heart? What are you after? What are you looking for in life? Now, it's, it's very characteristic of John to mean two things all at the same time. He does this all the time. So there is a, there's more like a straight reading and there's more like a metaphorical reading, right? 
Either way, the disciples' response is a little bit odd. It's kind of weird. Now, I want to try to explain it, but let me try to explain it like, um, like this. Let's say, um, uh, um, let's say Will's my home group leader, right? Uh, Will, could you stand up? And I have something pressing on my heart that I want to talk to Will about. You know, I'm, I'm, having, I'm having marital problems and I, I want Will's counsel. So I come up to Will after church during coffee hour and I go, hey, Will, what are you doing after this? Okay, now, has anyone ever done that to you when you're in coffee hour? They come up to you and say, what are you doing after this? No one has, you guys, you guys, should, you guys should do that. You guys should try that sometime, right? What are you doing after this? Now, what are you doing after this could have two meanings. One meaning is, I want to know what you're doing after this. I, I'm curious to know what people do after church. You know, I'm doing this survey. I want to know how people rest. What are you doing after church today? Oh, Debbie and I are going to have lunch. Oh, that's great. Now I know. See ya, right? Or there's a deeper meaning, right? What's the deeper, what's the deeper thing I'm asking? I want to know if you're available to have lunch. Because if you say you don't have many plans, I'm going to be like, hey, have a lunch, right? Now, the, in the first interpretation, it's like what I want is information. In the second interpretation, what I want is probably still information because I need some counsel. But really, it's information that comes with a longer conversation. It comes with a meal. Hopefully, he's treating. <laughs> conversation, relationship, right? Now, what do these disciples need? Thank you, Will. Thank you for being my little, my, my little, uh, uh, yeah, lunch buddy. Yeah. What do the disciples really need? Basically, they're saying this thing that we're deciding, which is whether or not to follow you, right, is going to take longer than a few minutes to discuss. What we want is way more time. What we want is a place What we want is a context so we can have this discourse because this issue is going to take some time and some conversation and some thought. Now, let me ask you a question. For your friends who don't know Jesus, what do they need? A lot of times we think what they need is a five-minute presentation from me about the gospel and the four spiritual laws and the Roman road and not D-O, but D-O-N-E done. You know, once they hear that, then I go, hey, do you 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 want to follow Jesus? But I want you guys to think about this, okay? What are some of the major decisions that you've made in your life? Uh, Who am I going to marry, right? Uh, Should I buy a house? If I do, which one? Which school should I go through to? Which person should I sit to next in church? No, that doesn't take that much time, right? You know how long it takes me? You know what sort of decision uh, takes five minutes? I'm not kidding you. Buying jelly at the grocery store takes five minutes. No, because I'm looking at the the fructose and the corn syrup and the price and I'm comparing. That's a five-minute decision. What about the most important decision of your life? Okay, so now I want you to think about this. What is Jesus giving to the disciples? What do the disciples really need? What do your friends, your mom, your dad, your uncle, your cousin your friend from childhood, the guy at the gym, your classmate, your dorm mate, your apartment mate, what do they need? Probably not an instant to decide, but a place to process. So if that's what they really need to make the biggest decision of their lives, maybe we should put a lot of thought into where can I create a place for them to process? 
because they probably have a lot of questions. They need a conversation. Maybe they'll go this way. Maybe they'll go that way. Maybe they need some advice. Maybe they need uh, what I honestly think. They need time. So Jesus gave them time, and he did it in the vehicle of relationship. Maybe the word for you leaving today's message is, I got some friends, and what they need is um, more time and more friendship. Maybe the place is actually relationship. I'm going to hang out with them more. I'm going to put time in my calendar to say, I'm going to hang out with these friends. And in the vehicle of relationship, there will be questions, there will be answers, but we're building trust. Maybe the place to process for you and your friends is not necessarily the relationship because the relationship is already there. Maybe it's like a book. There is one of our home group leaders who meets with his friend who's not a believer yet, and they go to a coffee store, a coffee shop, and they read from Tim Keller's um, The Reason for God. And they do this on a regular basis. And it's, it's interesting. They will read that book out loud together in the coffee shop, and then they'll kind of talk about it afterward. I was so inspired by his example that I'm, I'm also doing this with another friend. Same book. You know, I'm not creative. I just copy his plan, right? Same book. Uh, the, only, the, only, um, the only difference is that we read two chapters before we meet, and then we kind of talk about the book. But what is the book? The book is not a five-minute presentation and decision. The book is actually like five-hour-plus relationship, time, going back and forth. It's a place to process. Maybe you should invite a friend to read one of the Gospels together. Maybe, uh, maybe someone should like lead an alpha class at, at CLC. That would be so cool. You guys know what alpha class is? I'll explain it to you later. But it, it's kind of like a class for baby Christians and for non-Christians to really address some deep questions. There's some lecture. There's some conversation. But it's really designed for people who are in process. <clears throat> so not an instant to decide, but a place to process. Um, Actually, can I have you guys say that with me? Not an instant to decide, but a place to process. Okay, let's move on. Verse, verse 40. One of the two heard John speak and followed Jesus. And oh, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means Christ. Okay, so we have some brothers. We have some brothers. We have Andrew and we have Peter, right? Now, which is the more famous of the two brothers? Right, Peter, I know, I know. Peter is the more famous of the two brothers. Uh, which brother, like whenever you find a list of the 12 apostles, the 12 disciples, which brother is always at the first of that list? Andrew, right? No, it's Peter. Okay. Again, uh, which brother gave such an amazing Holy Spirit-filled electrifying talk that after the talk, 3,000 people became believers in Jesus Christ? That was... That was Peter, right? So there you go. There is Peter. And on the other hand, you have 
Andrew. Yay, Andrew. Andrew is uh, not like Peter, right? I, I maybe like on the Myers-Briggs, you guys into the Myers-Briggs, maybe he's more of an introvert. Andrew's more of an introvert, maybe. But every time you see him in the gospel, he's always bringing people to Jesus. You guys ever noticed that? Like there is the whole feeding the 5,000 and how are we going to feed all these people? And Andrew's like, um, hey, there's a kid with like five loaves and two fish. How about him? That was Andrew. And he brought the kid to Jesus. Then near the end of Jesus' life, there's these Greeks and they want to talk to Jesus. So they, they find Philip and they're like, we want to talk to Jesus. Who does Philip talk to? Go straight to Jesus, right? No. What does Philip do? He gets Andrew. Yay. After I say Andrew, can you all be like, yay. He gets Andrew. Why? Because Andrew's always bringing individuals to Jesus, right? Okay. Now, here's my question. You got Peter. And you got Andrew. Okay. How many of you, how many of you would say, I mean, you're just being honest. You're just being honest. I'm like more like a Peter. Just raise your hands. Come on. Don't be shy. Some, Mom, you're like Peter. Come on. No? Okay. Now, in all honesty, because there's no third category here, right? You're either like Peter or Andrew, okay? How many more like, maybe more like Andrew? Raise your hands. Okay. Milton, what are you? You're more like Peter. Come on. Okay. Now, I saw way more people saying I'm more like Andrew, right? Fewer people are saying I'm more like Peter. But here's the thing. Here's the thing. This is what Andrews can say. Look, look, in American culture, the Peters are more celebrated, so look, because I'm not a Peter, I'm not an evangelist. That's what Andrews say. They kind of take themselves out of the game. They kind of disqualify themselves. I don't think I have the personality. I'm not like Peter. He's, the evan- He's out there. I'm behind the scenes. I'm not really an evangelist. That's what Andrews say. But do you know that in this day, in this time, the Andrew way of evangelism is actually more effective than the Peter way? I'm telling you, it's true. We go to a school, this is awkward to say, but we've invited five families to come and hear Peter speak. <laughs> we've invited five families, none of them have come. You know, we've, we've, you know, like, hey, the speaker's awesome, come, come, come. I'm just kidding, I'm kidding. But it, it's weird to actually invite people. We have been inviting them, and they haven't really come. You know, the, the Peter method of evangelism, I actually think in America, because Americans are skeptical is not really the evangelism of the future. It really is the Andrew way, the Andrew method. Nowadays, they say that it's the Andrew method of relational evangelism that actually is the one that brings people to Christ 70% of the time. 70% of the time. Now, I just want to do a show of hands, you know, most of the people in this congregation are believers. Can I just ask you, like, how did you come to faith? Now, if it was from a Peter sort of thing, like Billy Graham, and I went and I knelt down, can you go ahead and raise your hands? No, come on, really? No one? Okay, and then how much for other people is more like a friend? It was like an Andrew who brought you actually to Jesus, and that's how you actually got to know Jesus. Okay, more people, which means that half of the people are not believers in this room. <laughs> well, just in the people who raised their hands, it was like more of a 70% uh, effect. 
Now, it would be a crying shame if, if your whole life you're like, hey, I'm not a Peter, I'm not a Peter, I'm not a Peter. And actually the way that God has gifted you is actually the more effective way in the beginning. Let's not disqualify ourselves. If God made you an Andrew, he knew what he was doing. It's a great name. He knew what he... Matthew is not Matthew. He's actually an Andrew. In fact, I'm calling him Andrew from now on. Andrew. If God made you an Andrew, shine as an Andrew. Shine in the place that God has called you. So if you are an Andrew, then who's your Peter? You know, not Peter, you know, the other way. Like, who is your Peter? Who are you bringing? Who do you want to share your chocolate donut with, you know? Is it your mom? Is it your coworker? Is it your friend? Who is it? Because God has uniquely put you in that situation to leverage trust so that you actually bring people this way closer to Jesus. So how about it? How about it? Okay, um, 42. Andrew brought Peter to Jesus, 42. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. You guys, this is the last point of my message, and if it's okay with you, I think it's very okay, we're actually not going to talk about evangelism. We're just going to focus on Jesus. What does this passage and what does this last act in this scene tell us about Jesus? It does tell us actually something really cool about Jesus. Jesus looks at Peter and he says, you are Simon. You shall be called Cephas, which means rock. I'm calling you Rocky. Now I want you to think about this. From a biblical standpoint, what's in a name? What does a name of a person mean? From a biblical standpoint, and I want, I want to share this with you, a name is much more than a name. It's kind of like the sum of your being. It's kind of like your unique distinguishing mark. That's your name. Now, I want you to know that when Simon's parents... Name Simon, Simon. They nailed him. That is who he is. What, what, what do I mean by that? Well, the name Simon, that if you look at the name Simon and you, you do like a historical search in the Old Testament, who is Simon? Simon was one of the sons of Jacob, right? And what did he do? There was one time where he was so angry that this, the prince from this village violated his sister that they deceived the whole village and he and another brother slaughtered the entire village. That was Simon. Violent. Capricious. This is a bloodthirsty man. And so when his parents were like, yeah, he kind of looks like a Simon. He, <laughs> they nailed him. Now, for those three years, you look at Simon, the ups, the downs, the things that come out of his mouth. He cut off the ear of the chief priest. You're like, yeah, he's a Simon. His parents nailed him. And now imagine Jesus, like, going, look, I see you. Your parents named you. They nailed you. This track record of your past, and actually in the next three years, is going to show that. But I say to you, that's not you. I'm calling out the you that God has called you to be. Wow. Who does that? 
disregards what the parents chose, disregards the track record, looks at them and says, but I tell you, you are this new man. That is Jesus. That's what, in one sense, he came to do. That's what he does. Now look, if there's anyone with the right to do that, it's Jesus. Look, a lot of our old identity is weighed down by sin and terrible things that we've done. Who alone has the authority to say, I have forgiven you and created a new identity for you to stand in? In fact, that's going to be your very name, the sum of your new being. And people are going to call you that name. And every time you hear that name, you're going to be reminded of my power working inside you to make you new. Wow. Jesus Christ is the only one with the authority to rename you and the goodness to call out the best in you as your new identity. That's what he does. It doesn't matter what you have been named all your life. And there's people here, and you carry around those old names. And there's pain around those names. In college, I had this friend, and his nickname was Bull. And I, one day, you know, his family members are calling him Bull. Ball, you know, ball. And one day I'm like, hey, what does ball mean, you know, in your language? And he's like, oh, it means, uh, it means ugly. <laughs> like, really? Like, your nickname was, was ugly? Actually, he wasn't a bad-looking guy. I mean, it's just like, but maybe he thought he was ugly. <laughs> because all his life he's been told, you're ugly. What about you? What are those, what are those names that you've been called? You know, weak, loser, failure, uh, depressed. Nothing good is going to happen to you. Inept, stupid. How about stupid? Ugly. No one's going to want to marry someone like you. They've been called these names, you know, and there's, there's, there's baggage. There's only one with the authority to say, no, 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 that's not your name. I'm calling out the new you. I died on the cross. So I alone have that authority to say, this is what you are, redeemed, cleaned, renewed. You are new. You are beautiful. You are good looking. You are strong in me. You are a child. You are beloved. You are awesome in my sight. You are my delight. You are my inheritance. Jesus alone looks at you. And calls out the you that God has called you to be. That is the Jesus that we are bringing people to. That is the Jesus that is worth losing everything in order to come to this Jesus and to bring other people to this Jesus. Jesus has the authority to rename us and the goodness to call out what's best. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your presence here. I thank you that you are whispering to our hearts through your Holy Spirit. I thank you that you call us by a new name. I thank you that you alone have the authority because you died on the cross to redeem us. I thank you that you did that to Cephas, to rock, to unmovable and shakable. And I thank you that you do this for us. We pray these things in your name. Amen.